0: know uh, what happened on June 6, 1944? D-Day, right? It was the largest uh, unified air, naval, and foot soldier assault ever on the planet that I I think that I'm aware of, right? It was a huge day. Uh, War had been going on for years in Europe under Germany and Hitler, and uh, the Allied Forces Uh, stormed the Normandy beaches, and in so years of war, D-Day, huge effort, by the Allied forces, and then in less than a year, on May the 8th of 1945, the Allied forces had peace, they had victory in Europe, okay? And so this morning, what I want to talk about, we really sang this incredible song this morning that this text actually speaks to, and it's the idea that we're here on earth, in our lives, we're fighting a battle. It's not always easy, but Christ has has already won the battle. Everybody with me this morning? And so really D-Day is kind of a picture of that, that once the allied forces had that foothold in Normandy, it really was just a matter of time. But man, there was a lot of effort, a lot of emphasis on that Getting that foothold in Europe, right? And that is the work of Christ. He did the work of the Father. He He lived the life you and I could, and he died in our stead. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father, and we're just awaiting his return. And we're somewhere between June 6th and May 8th of those 11 months, right, in this waiting for this return of Christ. Now, some of you are like, are you predicting the return of Christ in the next 11 months? No, okay, I'm just saying, like, it's, it's a metaphor. Hopefully you guys are tra- tracking with me, all right? And so there's this beautiful passage this morning. Paul is writing to this young pastor, Titus, who is in charge of establishing leadership at campuses, if you will, churches on this island called Crete. And so in Titus chapter two, verse 11, we see that Paul reminds Titus that the gospel has defeated sin's penalty. What is the penalty of sin? The wage of sin, Paul says, is what? Death. And so Paul reminds us that this good news of Jesus has defeated the full and final enemy. Verse two, Chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. So a couple things here. First of all, letter A. Jesus is the grace of God. Let me say that again, because sometimes we talk about the grace of God as this nebulous thing out there. But in fact, Jesus is the grace of God. Now, the Bible refers to a thing called that we often theologians call common grace, right? There's common grace. It rains on the good and the evil, right? Both Christians and non-Christians get to enjoy air conditioning. Okay, that's common grace, But saving grace, to be saved from the penalty of your sin, to be saved from the wage of sin it's death, is found in one place and one place only. And that is in Jesus Christ. And Paul says in Titus that Christ appeared, he used the word appeared. This is letter B, it's Christmas, right? At Christmas, we celebrate God sending his saving grace. That's why at Christmas time is a big deal, right? What is it? It's God's saving grace, the salvation of God. God's grace appeared to us in the person and the work of Jesus. We, at Christmas time, you will see a lot of Christmas cards that have the word Advent on it. Does anybody know what the word Advent means? It means coming, right? His first coming was D-Day. His first coming was the foothold that was required to finish the work. It was the beginning of the end. It was his first advent. And now as Christians, we're looking for what? His second advent or his second coming where the work is fully and finally finished. In the meantime, we 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 live in the now and not yet of the kingdom. Is the kingdom of God now? Yes, right, but we're still fighting some battles, a battle that is assured to have been won, but we're in this in between time. And so at Christmas time, we celebrate God sending His saving grace in Jesus, and He has offered in Jesus the salvation of God. Now, if I would ask you what your greatest need is, you walked in this morning. You got up. You decided to come here. You're not. There's no, by the way, there's no accident that you're here this morning. Let me say that again. God is sovereign. If you're wondering what you're doing here this morning, God brought you here. It's not an accident you're here this morning. And if I would have told you, hey, write down what you're, what you were hoping to get out of the service this morning. Maybe you're like, I'm just hoping I don't fall asleep. All right, that's fine. Okay, try to stay awake. What if you were to write down my greatest need is? Maybe it's a financial need. Maybe it's a relational need. Biblically speaking, your greatest need is to be unified with your Creator and you've been broken you're in a broken relationship with him because of your sin and sin is a rebellion against god's holy character and what you and i deserve is the penalty of our sin which is death both physical and eternal but god in his grace and mercy intervened on your behalf and sent his son who took on flesh he died in your stead he re- he defeated the final enemy of sin bodily rose from the grave and when We repent of our sin. We call ourselves what the Bible calls us. We repent of our sin and we believe in God's rescue plan, Jesus. We are united with Christ in his death, spiritually speaking. Therefore, we will be united with Christ in his glory, in our, when he returns in glorious resurrection. Amen. And Paul says so as much in Romans chapter six, for if we've been united with him in his death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And so Paul reminds Titus, the salvation in Christ, letter D, is offered to all people. It's the most inclusive thing on the planet. Anyone can receive the salvation of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's not a universal. He's not saying that all people go to heaven, but he is saying heaven is offered to all. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic standing, if you're rich or if you're poor, if you're willing to repent of sin and acknowledge your sinner and turn from sin and believe in Jesus as your rescue plan, you will be saved from the penalty of your sin. The life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is sufficient to save everyone. Everybody with me? But it's only efficient to those who believe. It's only efficient. It's only applied to those who believe. That's why Jesus said in John chapter five, truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he's passed from death to life. Okay, you ready? And Chris, there's somebody here, like I think as Christians, we can get full of ourselves sometimes. Like why don't the rest of the world get it? Part of the reason is there's a spiritual awakening, John three, by God's grace that he awakened you. He born you again so that you could see the kingdom. That's a gift of God's grace. So let me ask you this, who deserves the judgment of God? Everybody. And, And who deserves the salvation of God? No one. I and mean, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, it's, it's the gift of God's grace to you. Listen, the gospel of Jesus is so simple that a child can go, man, I messed up and I need Jesus. Yet it's so profound that people that have heard the gospel in their, in, all the way to their old age will lay on their deathbed and in their pride reject the gospel of Jesus. It requires a amount of some humility to say, "Man, I am broken and I'm needy." And so the gospel saves us from it. Our what our final penalty deserves, which is death. Number two, Paul reminds us the gospel de- defeats sin's power. This is really beautiful, Christian. The gospel defeats sin's power. Titus chapter two verse twelve. Paul writes. To Titus, he says, the God, Christ, God in his grace is training us. By the way, if you're, if you're a writer in your Bible, I would circle or underline the word training. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self controlled and upright and godly lives when? It, right now, right? We're, we're to be growing in holiness and righteousness. And there's a training that Paul talks about, right? At Coastal, we've, we, 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 uh, our vision here is to develop authentic, anybody know? Followers of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist as a church. We want you to develop and follow Jesus. The Bible word for that would be discipleship. And what's at the root of discipleship? discipline, right? It's a disciplining to be like Christ, to develop as an authentic follower of Jesus. And now we say there's four things that as a church we've put in place that we think are essential to your training process. You do it through what? Some of you guys know this. Connect, grow, serve, and multiply. All right, let's unpack these real quick. Connect. Connect is a commitment a disciplining, a training to show up every single week at corporate worship. How often, church? Every week. Every week you show up and you you discipline yourself. And what happens in corporate worship? We sing as the Bible tells us to sing. We hear the word of God. We pray and we give. These are all part of our worship in, in corporate worship. And then we grow In a small group. In a small group is where you have community. In a small group is where you bear one another's burdens. In a small group is where we intersect the word with real life. In a small group is where you can say, man, that thing that he talked about in that verse, man, I'm struggling with that. And other people surround you say, man, we're going to pray for you and we're going to encourage you. That happens in a small group. They start on September 10th. If you're not in a small group, you're missing a very key part, biblical part, to your spiritual training small group and then you serve god did not put you here just to sit in a seat he put you here to give back to the church and to the lost people and to serve find a place of service and then he put you here to multiply If you missed last week, man, I talked about, we looked at Titus where Paul wrote to Titus. He said, hey, old people, I want you to train the young people. I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands, but how many of you old people last week picked up the phone and called someone younger to say, hey, I wanna start meeting for coffee so that I can disciple you, mentor you? If you didn't, It's a new week, all right? And pour yourself out into someone to multiply, connect, grow, serve, and multiply. Listen, when the leaders of this church, myself and the elders, as we've developed this discipleship process through the years, this was not something that we sat around and go, hey, let's come up with four really cool words to put on people's calendars. These are biblical truths that need to be in our lives to train us so that we can renounce ungodliness and renounce worldly passions and live in a manner that's self-controlled and upright and godly in the present age. Because the world is coming after you. And your flesh is still in there. And the devil wants to tear you down, and we have to train to fight the battle. Yes, it's already won, but there are skirmishes along the way until our faith becomes sight. Everybody with me? And so, let her be, man. We got to remove ungodliness and worldliness. We got to remove ungodliness and worldliness. And Paul, he gives a negative and a positive. He says, Get rid of ungodliness. Get rid of of worldliness. Be Christian. Listen, as a Christian, we should still fear our own ability to sin. It should, it should terrify us because sin and temptation is lurking and the world wants to entice you into temptation. John In 1 John, and we studied this summer, we learned about the enticements of the world, worldliness. Remember what John said? It's the lust of the eyes, right? The lust of the eyes is that you're never content with what you have. You need newer, shinier, bigger, faster. Because that old jalopy you're driving ain't good enough. And the lust of the flesh, right? Man, I want it, and I want it now. Whether it's biblical or not doesn't even come into question. It's the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. I just want to achieve, and I want to achieve, and I want to achieve, and I want to achieve so that the rest of the world look at me and go, wow, you're awesome. And I've said this before. Man, if that's what you're pursuing, I'm too self-centered to care about your life. And so is everyone else. We might look at your life for a second and go, that's cool. And then we got our own problems. We ain't thinking about you that much. But you think that we are. That's the pride of life, right? So we we renounce him. How do we renounce? Romans 12, 2. Anybody know? Be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind, man. What goes on up here matters. Not every thought that passes through your head is from on high. Not every thought that passes through your head is true and noble and good. Every thought that passes through your head needs to be weighed by the word of God and say, man, God, is this true? Then, Paul says to Titus, "And, and run towards something. So there's renouncing, and then there's pursuing something. First thing he says, letter C, number one, is sensible thinking. I just talked about that, right? It's the word of God. I think it's, you want me to give you some sensible thinking? The Bible says this, by the way. A wise person numbers their days. You know what I think that means? There's, there's some value in sitting around and thinking about your funeral service. Who do you want there? I mean, what really matters? What do you want said about you? Ah, oh, they made a lot of money. How much of it did they take with them? they were a raving success man they had a nice car who's driving it now it ain't you right like what real it's there's some there's some sensible thinking and thinking about man i've got 80 90 years and and i have a season and then i stand before god and listen you want to know how long you live You know how long you exist? Actually, you exist forever and ever 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 and if I kept saying this till 9 o'clock tonight, I'd just be getting started. And your life on earth is like this tiny little piece of that foreverness. This is really hard. Pastor John, I'm going through a really hard time. Thinking about quitting just a little short time. Sensible thinking. Righteousness. Paul says, run after righteousness. Did you know that sometimes you have to do and then your feelings catch up? Anybody ever do that? You ever get up on a Sunday morning and go, I don't feel like going to church? You know that happens to me sometimes? I lay in bed. I'm like, I ain't going. (laughs) My wife's like, you have to. Why? You're the pastor. Okay, so like... Sometimes you do and your feelings catch up. Your feelings do not dictate what is true. Paul says, run after righteousness. Do the right thing. Your feelings will get there. And godliness, it's this idea of of reflecting on our God and his character and his word. Run towards these things. And then, number three, this good news of Jesus sets our hope on the future. Listen, the things of the world have no future. You don't take your house with you. You don't take your stuff with you. It's only Christ in the gospel that has a future. Titus 2.13, Paul says, you're waiting for the blessed hope. The appearing of the glory, and by the way, I want you to highlight this. I'm going to come back to this. If you're a writer in your Bible, you're waiting for the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, instead of coming back to there, I'll just say it now, right? So put that, go ahead and put the verse back up. We're waiting for the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here's the rabbit trail, Okay. This is one of the clearest verses in the scripture that tell us about the deity of Christ. He is, Jesus, is our great God and Savior. Heard a, just this week I had a church member that was working at another denominational church in our community and the pastor taught the kids and told the kids all paths lead to God. God forbid that someone in the name of God would declare such a lie. Buddha is not the same as Jesus. Jesus is the great God. And Savior. if you're a Christian, you cannot hold to the lie that all paths lead to God. We just heard the verse in John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus declared, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, He alone is our blessed hope. And listen, the blessed hope that Paul is reminding us there's many when we think about our time in heaven, and one day when we're in eternity future. But one of the blessed hopes is that we will be totally free from the battle with sin. Isn't that awesome? And by the way, have you ever met that person that And there's a lot, and maybe you're in this room, and I praise God for it. Like, before you knew Jesus, you had this addiction, right? Whatever it is, fill in the blank. You had some addiction, and it was dragging you down, and you were a mess, and you were miserable, and you were away from God. And then they come to Jesus, they start following Jesus, all of a sudden, the addiction's just gone completely, Right? and you are on the other side of that. You're like, I have the same addiction. I came to Jesus, and now it's a daily struggle for me. Why don't I get the completely gone part of the journey? Right? And the answer for me is, I don't know, except that Jesus, in this short season called life, wants us sometimes to fight some battles so that we cling to him at the end of the day. He knows what, how to best conform each one of you and me into the image of his son because that's ultimately what he's about. He's not about you getting through life safe, soft, easy, and comfortable without you know any challenges. He is about you clinging to Jesus. We get saved when we come to Jesus and we get sanctified and grow in holiness and righteousness as we cling to Jesus. It is Jesus justification. It is Jesus sanctification and it is Jesus glorification. It's Jesus from beginning to end. And so he has you fighting some battles. So you cling to Jesus. Amen. But there is coming a day when our faith becomes sight that sin will be gone. You will no longer have the ability to sin. Isn't that amazing? That's why Paul says, For me to live is Christ. As long as I'm here, man, I'm living for Christ. But man, Philippians 121, to die is gain. And so we wait for the appearing of Christ. And we long for the day that our faith becomes sight. I want you to think about something. This is probably a really poor illustration. Think about your best day on planet Earth. What was your best day? Sure, for most of you, it wasn't when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl. But for somebody in this room, that was like, man, that was amazing. What's your best day? Your best day on the planet will be a faint, cheap rec- replica of your worst day in heaven. Isn't that amazing? We, we're not forward-looking enough. We're too busy driving our hopes and our desires and our wishes here on this planet as if this is all there is. And Paul reminds Titus, I want you to look ahead to the appearing. Why? Because, number four, he has set us apart as his precious children. He has set us apart as his precious children. Titus 2.14, he gave us Christ who gave himself for us. Christ, our great God and Savior, verse 13. Now verse 14 who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his very own possession who are zealous for good works. Man, there's a lot here. First of all, as as the children of God, you've been redeemed. If you call yourself a Christian, you have been bought with an incredibly high price. Salvation, so we looked at in Titus chapter two verse eleven. It's free to everyone, free to you, but came at a high cost to God. Listen, you've been, you have been bought back from slavery. In Acts chapter twenty verse twenty eight, the Apostle Paul is teaching the Ephesian elders. I, lo- I love Acts twenty; it's one of my favorite passages. Uh, But he's teaching the elder, the leader, the spiritual leaders of this church in Ephesus. And he says, pay careful, challenge them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Okay, let's do something weird. Everybody do something weird, Ready to Be weird this morning. Like, I'm a guest. I don't want to get weird. Okay, let's get weird. Why don't you just look around the room? Look around the room. Look at the person behind you. Look at the person behind you. Look at them. I know, it's not pretty. It's... uh, (laughs) All right, you ready? Let's go back to Acts 20, 28. In, so challenging the elders, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Those people around you are the church of God. And How'd they get there? They were obtained with his own blood. Every single one of us in this room that calls themselves a Christian, Blood of Christ was shed for you, which then, letter B, makes you God's very own possession. And you are treasured by God. You're loved by God in Christ. You're In Christ, you are not ordinary. In Christ, you're not overlooked. In Christ, you're not a nobody. Pastor Sean, I, I'm a nobody. I've only got two people following me on Insta. And one of them is my mom. <laughs> the God of the universe has adopted you into his family. And you are precious to him. And one of the things that you young people don't know yet, but you will one day when you have children, if they're suffering, you're suffering worse. And if they're celebrating, you're celebrating more. As the children of God, he has the best for you. He wants the best for you. You're a family member. The Apostle Peter says it this way. He says, man, you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and now run in marvelous light. Somebody is here this morning, you're a Christian, you keep running back to darkness. You're not a child in that kingdom anymore. You are loved and you are to be running in holiness and light. Because he purifies his people. That's what Paul says in Titus 2, letter C, purifies his people. Listen, you just come home to the Father, but he cleans you up. Doesn't run you once you running in the sinful muck and mud. He's got way better than that for you. He's holy and he's making you holy, he's conforming you into the image of his son through the word of God. As we adjust our lives to it. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5 25, which is really it's it's this beautiful passage where God, Paul, interweaves husbands and wives and the church. And it's hard to tell what he's talking about sometimes in Ephesians 5. you talking about husbands or are you talking about God and the church? And the answer is yes, both at the same time. And he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that she might be sanctified, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. It's the word of God that purifies us and molds us into his holy character so that, letter D, the overflow of this purification and growing to be more like God, letter D, is to be zealous for good works. Hey, God, as you're cleaning me up, use me to spread the name and fame of Jesus. Why are you still here? I mean, if you're a Christian, why doesn't God just take you to heaven? I mean, this is hard. Why do we gotta fight battles? If he's already won... Why do we gotta get a whole nother year to victory in Europe day? Why don't it just, because he's using you to declare the marvelous truth of Jesus. That's why you're here. You're not here just to collect stuff. You're not here just to get through life safe, soft, easy, and comfortable. You're not here to, you know, pride of life, achieve. You're here to declare the excellencies of Jesus. That's why Paul says in verse five, We must declare these glorious truths. You are here to declare Jesus, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what you're here to declare. Titus 2.15. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke but do it timidly. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with what, church? Let no one disregard you. By the way, letter A, why do we we have all authority? Why can we declare the word of God with all authority? Authority implies submission. You you don't have authority because it comes from inside of you. You have authority around the word of God because it's the word of God. And it's man's responsibility to submit to the word of God. And so when I get up here and talk about I did last week. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And wives, submit to your husbands. And all of a sudden, everyone gets real uncomfortable. It doesn't matter what you think. It's the word of God. When I get up here and say, well, you know, a lot of people out there believe in there's many paths who to God, but that is not what the Bible says. It's exclusive. There's one way to God. It's inclusive that anybody can receive the gospel, but it's exclusive in that there's only one way to see God face to face and live in heaven forever and ever. And that's through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And when I say that, and some of you get uncomfortable, it doesn't matter what you think. It's the word of God. And when I talk about marriage being reserved between one man and one woman in a lifetime commitment, you say, well, what about, you know, two guys or what about other love is love? And you start to think, it doesn't matter what you think. It's the word of God. The word of God will stand on its own and the culture can say what it wants or you can say what it wants, but the word of God is an authority unto itself because the word is his character. We don't get to worship the God that we want or the God of our making. We worship the God who is. When Moses was told to go to Pharaoh and he said, who should I say that sent me? He said, you tell him I am sent you. And therefore, if his word is from God and it's immovable and it's authoritative, then guess what? It's also true and it's also good for you. It's good for me because we have a good God. So Paul says to Titus, I want you to declare this with authority. As pastors. Listen, if you're in a church that's not declaring the word of God boldly and authoritatively, Go find another church because your pastor; those pastors are not doing their job, and they're false shepherds. As a church, we declare the word of God. Listen, so I don't want to presume on the Lord, and I, I, I don't, I don't know in regards to what the church that we're a part of here is going to have in the future. But right now, God and His grace, we have six campuses, and they're all growing. And I don't presume on that. Like, I, that is God's favor, and I'm thankful. But I'm convinced a big part of that, six campuses are holding up the Bible and going, thus saith the Lord. It's our job to declare the word of God. Parents, it's your job to declare the word of God. God didn't give you those children just to get them educated and be successful. God gave you those children to make disciples. Your friend group at work. In the community, is there so you could declare the word of God? My dad last week I got to hang with my dad a little bit, and he's uh, he's my dad's a lot of things, but one of the things he is he's an evangelist man. He will share Jesus with anybody, and he was recounting with great sorrow his former boss that he shared the gospel with many times, and he died unexpectedly. He didn't know if he was saved or not. And he said, "I know." He goes, "I." Just a couple months before, he's like, I sat him down and gave him 10 or 15 minutes telling him about sin and separation and Jesus and God's intervention. I don't know if he listened or to declare the word of God. You ready for some part of the, now listen, as Christians, we speak the truth in love. And I believe that's best done in relationship and not on social media. I talked about that last week. But silence is affirmation. The next time you're at work and someone's like, ah, oh, you know, all paths lead to God. Yeah, no, that's not true. That's all you got to say. Just say that and walk away. Let it sit, right? Yeah, that's not true. How oh, you know love is love? No, love is defined by God. Just say that and let it sit. Like we we can't silence. is The reason the culture is going this way is the church is no longer being the conscience of the culture. Because we're just silent about it. Listen, the Bible is authoritative and it changes things. That's why Paul says, I want you to exhort and reprove. Exhort is positive. Like sometimes we need a little encouragement in our lives, right? And it's positive. And reproof is sometimes we need a good swift kick in the butt. And the word of God does both. Exhort and reprove. I want to finish with this, where the word of God changed things, invite the worship team out. 38 years ago, um, there was a young man that grew up in a Christian home, and um, he he played the game. Like, you know, he grew up, he knew all the answers, everyone thought he was really good. So good, in fact, that in his church, he got invited to help with the children's camp that was happening later that summer. So he said yes, and he just went along playing the spiritual game. But man, his heart was far from God. He was wrestling with, man, do I believe this stuff? Am I in? I think I'm going to pursue the things of the world. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. I'm going to go after those things. But when did the religious game at the children's camp, and this children's speaker got up to speak to the kids that night and and wasn't a particularly eloquent speaker, wasn't a gifted communicator, but he taught the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, if you don't know the story of the prodigal son, it goes like this. There's a father, in the story, the father represents God, and the father had two boys, and one of the boys said, I want my inheritance early. Basically, he's wishing his father dead. I wish you were dead, I want my inheritance now. Father gives him his inheritance, and he goes, and he he squanders it. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Right? Lives the way he wants, runs out of money. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, all that gone. He's out of money, and a recession hits, and it's bad. And he's in a foreign country, and he ends up in a pig pen which for a Jew would be like the worst job ever, feeding the pigs. He's feeding the pigs. He's so he's so poor that he's wishing that he could eat the food that the pigs are eating. And he's in the pig pen, and he thinks to himself. And I love verse 17 of Luke 15. It says, and when he finally came to his senses, that's the NLT translation. In other words, up to this point, he's lost his mind. When we finally came to a sense, he thought to himself, he said, you know what, my father's father's servants have it better than this. So I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell my dad, I sinned against heaven, I sinned against you, if I could just be your servant. And so he makes his journey back home, and it was probably a tough journey and a lot of pride swallowing footsteps. And it's the only time in scripture where we see God run. The father's sitting on the porch probably every day waiting for his boy to come home. And the boy had reversed his speech. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. Just make me a servant. And the father sees him runs. And he puts a robe on him. And he says, tonight we are gonna party like no other because my lost kid has come home. And the speaker at this kid's camp said, there's somebody here that's sitting in a pig pen. And you don't need to clean yourself up first. You don't need to get your together. You just need to come home. And so the speaker at this camp says, here's what we're going to do, man. I just want you to come forward if you want to come home. And I had to swallow my pride in front of all those kids that I was their leader and walk that aisle because I was tired of being in the pig pen. I would imagine in a room this size, there's someone here this morning that's in the pig pen. Listen, the lust of the eyes That new car, that new house, that bigger bank account is not going to fill this. That lust of the flesh, that addiction, that thing, that high, that next thing you want, it will never fill this. And the pride in your achievements that really no one cares about all that much is never going to fill this. Every single one of us gets in a pig pen. And listen, theologically speaking, I don't, I grew up in a Christian home. Maybe I was a Christian before and I was just a wayward Christian, or maybe I was lost, and for the first time I got found, I don't know. All I knew is I wanted to go home. And that was the moment I said, I'm going home to my father. By the way, I didn't even have to clean myself up. He took care of that. I just had to come home. And so here's what I'm gonna do. I want everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm not gonna make you come forward though, I'm tempted. Because there's someone in this room right now that the word of God has been preached. And by God's grace and mercy to you right now, he's stirring. He says, I just want you to come home. And so while I'm not making you come forward and no one's looking around, they've dimmed the lights. I can't see. So here's the deal. You ready? I just want you to stand up and sit back down so I know to pray for you. Stand up and sit down. Okay, I see that one. Anybody else? I'm in the pig pen. Stand up and sit down. All right, I'm praying for you. Anybody? I'm praying for you. Anybody else? Okay. 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 see you. The gospel message of Jesus is so simple. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. The gospel message of Jesus is so simple that a child can, thank you, can receive the gospel, yet so profound it requires a little pride swallowing. Father, I want to thank you for the men and women who said, I'm bold enough today, I'm in the pig pen, and today's my day, I want, I want to come home. And I want to thank you, Father, that you're like a waiting dad going, just come, I want you in my family. We don't even have to clean ourselves up first. He takes care of that, God. Thank you for those who stood up and said, I'm in the pig pen. I want to come home. Thank you, Father, that you take all prodigals. Can never run too far, but we all get in the pig pen at some point. We need to repent and come home. So thank you for those who stood today. God, I pray your blessing on them. I pray that they will now train themselves, discipline themselves to run from ungodliness and worldliness and pursue the righteousness and character of Christ because he has good things for them. I thank you for the work that you're doing in our church body, God. Thank you for the word of God that it changes us, all of us, to be more and more like Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.